Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. It is the 5th of the 6th. It is another beautiful day. The world keeps on moving much as it has been the last week. America keeps on burning. The big wheel keeps on turning. <laughs> Michael, how have you been? I was wondering if we were going to get there. Uh, I'm fine, Gary. Um, it's not such a beautiful day here, but um, we are promised that next week, temperatures will be back into the low 20s. Well, Michael, I want to start off with some with some good news for you. Tell me. So we have often complained about the Irish Council for Civil Liberties saying things like they're hypocrites, they're awful, they don't actually believe in human rights, you shouldn't give them money, they're terrible, and so on and so on. Endlessly, Michael, I think. We have we have been very unkind to the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. I, I, I don't know. I think it's speaking more out of a sense of... A disappointed lover, you know, because we admire them and love them so much that sometimes when they don't live up to what we expect of them, because they're such lovely, lovely people, that we are di- we are disappointed. We are disappointed. Deeply disappointed. But the ICCL, Michael, has come out and they have said that um, the Gardaí's COVID-19 powers are unworkable and must be ended. I see. Well, gosh, that's... Uh... That's a lot better than that article that uh, Liam Herrick there... Chief Executive published at the start of this, saying that not only were there no human rights conflicts possible in the COVID-19 laws and the lockdown, in fact, it represented what a society coming together could look like. Right. Now, Gary, would you say, because sometimes I don't understand the difference, is this them going on a journey or is this an evolution of an idea? Well, I think that, to be fair to them, they have been saying that... um, well, you see, their, their primary concern is protests, Michael. So since the Debenin protests, uh, they've been saying that protests should be, uh, there should be more grounds for protests under the uh, existing laws. Because we all know during a pandemic, what you want is mass protests. Well, that's the, I, would accept, I think that's the common, I mean, there are, you, you're going to get the odd, you know, sort of doctor type that will come up with some kind of objection to that. But Gary, they're the kind of people that tell you to stop eating chips and stop smoking. So, I mean, who's going to trust them? Really, killjoys, basically. Well, there is a bit of a journey in language here, though, because when the Debenhams protest happens, they said that we should allow socially distanced protests. But now, Michael, now the Black Lives Matter protest has happened. And in fact, they they say, when they say that we've got to get rid of these powers... ICCL is particularly concerned about the possible persecution under the current regulations of the organisers of a Black Lives Matter protest in Dublin last Monday, and hopes that the Gardaí and the DPP will take a decision in this matter which does not jeopardise rights. Yeah, now, I think I read an article, I don't know, was it The Lancet, that apparently if you're protesting for the right things, and if you're really pure in heart, it actually makes you immune to the virus. It's, It's one of the most fascinating things about the uh, about the COVID-19 epidemic. I mean, when we get that part of the genome sequenced, endless, endless things. Now, so they're also... Now, this is another interesting thing they said. So they've called on the powers to be stopped. But in the meantime, they want you to know that protesting is a reasonable excuse under COVID-19 rules, which, of course, the regulations say if you have a reasonable excuse to be doing things, you can do things. So the ICCL is basically saying it's perfectly legal to protest. Here's exactly what they told Connor Lally. Connor is the Irish Times security and crime editor. In terms of the law, the regulations prohibit events unless organisers have a reasonable excuse. The list of reasonable excuses in the regulations is not conclusive, conclusive, allowing some discretion to the Gardaí to decide what may or may not be legal. Our view is that given that protest is such a fundamental right and one of the key ways of vocalising dissent it could be considered a reasonable excuse. And then they, of course, say, you know, please take precautions. Yeah, I can Can I just actually ask a, an, a, a genuine question here uh, while we're having fun? This is a protest. What does that mean? What exactly are these people in Ireland protesting? I mean, I can understand. You're protesting about the closure of Debenhams because you want Debenhams not to close. Or you want the you want Debenhams to give the workers a better severance package? I understand that you protest on stores because they're bringing in African, they're bringing in South African oranges. 
So you want them to stop doing that. I, that that I get. What you you agree? You don't agree? But I understand that. What are these people protesting? The actions of the United States. My the a man did something wrong. Apparently, that's very much what it looks. He's been like. charged. He was arrested. He was within two, t- three days. He was charged. With murder and manslaughter. Third degree murder and manslaughter. It's now been moved up to second degree Which murder. maybe a little bit dodgy, but we'll see. Well, I think, yeah, a bit of a stretch there, potentially. Gary, how often would somebody be arrested and charged with murder in Ireland within three days of a crime happening? I mean, I don't expect that you actually have numbers under your hand, but my sense is that that doesn't happen very often here. I don't precisely know what it is they're protesting. I, they're not protesting about black men get, getting killed. I know that. Because 12, 12 black men were killed in Chicago last weekend, for example. And uh, there were no protests about that. It doesn't matter what they're protesting, Michael. The fact is that protesting, whatever it may be defined as, is in the view of the ICCL so fundamental a democratic right that during a pandemic... You should have the right to do that. Okay, right. So, for example, if you wanted to protest against uh, the regulations imposed during the pandemic, that would be a a right, would it? Weirdly enough, I I did go back through everything they've released this year. They don't mention that protest. Because that, I think, was a little bit too right-wing for them. A little bit... I I don't think the ICCL has actually left a right-wing. I think they're just painfully twee middle classers who have a certain view of the world and any any right that furthers that view is a fundamental human right which you know must be focused on and anything that doesn't is uh you know garbage on the scrap heap of history so the right to protest against the laws on abortion in Ireland? absolutely not michael horrific should be banned european case law and human right is Rights are clear, absolutely proportional and reasonable. Easy, now you've lost me. I'm struggling here, Gary. I ha- I I only have I have an IQ of 142, so I'm struggling with this kind of high stuff. You know, this is tricky. You, all these words, because these words look like they're in the same. They mean the same thing in different ways, and, and yet they seem to mean different well, you things. See, here's, so for the listener, and this is this is the real problem I have with the ICCL here is that they are middle class and hypocrites and absolutely inconsistent in what they choose to protect and what they don't. The ICCL has been lobbying heavily for exclusion zones around abortion clinics, saying that there should be no protests against them, even if they are silent and in no way engage with the people going into them. That the mere sight of someone with a placard would be so distressing, so harmful to public health, that it should be removed. And here's what they say about it. They say, and this is a quote from a document they did, an ICCL uh, investigation into abortion safe zones. The document argued that they should be brought in, saying that on the basis of understanding of human rights law and European law, they were perfectly fine and in fact could be necessary. They were fantastic. No problem at all. But here is their exact quote. The right to protest is protected in the Irish Constitution and in human rights law through the rights to freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, and freedom of association. Those sound like important freedoms, Michael. It's good to hear them talk about them. The right to protest is fundamental to a functioning democracy and has long been recognised as a legitimate means to agree or disagree with public policies and laws, contribute to important debates, and seek social change. ICCL fully supports the right to protest and continues to do significant work towards strengthening this right in Ireland. All fantastic stuff. But there is, however, Michael, a distinction in human rights law between an absolute right and a right that can be limited. Absolute rights include the right never to be tortured, the right to hold ideas and to belong to a religion. Non-absolute rights are those rights that can be limited for certain prescribed reasons in narrow circumstances. So, for example, the right to hold religious beliefs cannot be limited, but the right to manifest those beliefs where they may impact on the rights of others can be limited. The right to protest, similarly is not an absolute right. It can be limited in certain circumstances, including for the protection of the rights of others. ICCL supports safe zones because we believe this is an example of where one right, the right to protest, 
should be limited to protect the rights of others. Which rights? Privacy, dignity, bodily integrity, including mental so, and physical health, access to healthcare, and the right of medical providers to access their place of work safely. Safely. The right to dignity, privacy, yeah. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a bit of a shopping list there. I mean, if you're going to, I suspect that if you exp, you took that list down and and decided to be creative with it, you could apply that to pretty well any protest outside of any, say, for example, a government building. For You know, if there were civil servants going in and out of that bit, that building doing the job associated with the state or the government that you were protesting, would that not be affecting them? Would that not affect their sense of their sense of their safety or their indeed their dignity? Well, Michael, you see, the the COVID nineteen protests could merely kill someone. Well, yeah, a silent protest outside an abortion clinic could upset people, middle class people, Michael, the sort of people that ICCL members might have over for dinner parties, and that, Michael cannot be allowed in a democratic and just society. One of my favourite bits here in, in, this, in the context of the, all of the, the issues about the, the nature of the, of the protests and what is protest and what is not is the, the use and the evolution of language. Um, I don't know you, you, if you saw this, hard to miss, I'd say, because it's been in a number of places. You talk about being upset, right? And we have talked before about this notion of creep, of, of language, the way that things have expanded and expanded their under their understanding, and in the in the new dispensation, being upset or upsetting somebody is a form of violence, is it not? And that speech is violence when it's the wrong kind of speech, and it because it makes people fear for their lives. Remember those students in in Yale and in Harvard who were feared for their lives because people, for example wore the wrong kind of Halloween costume. Well, there's a fabulous example in, in this where um, we now have this perfect inversion where speech is violence when it's the wrong kind of speech, but now violence is speech when it's the right kind of violence. We were, we were talking about the 1619 pro, pro, uh, project here, didn't we? We did. I tore into it, I think would be the kind way of putting it. The, uh, the, the individual that was responsible for that uh, in the New York Times, was on the uh, on the television, and talking about the protests in the United States, and somebody said, you know, but isn't the rioting and the looting and the stuff bad? Oh, by the way, lo- we're not supposed to use the word looting. Forceful acquisition of goods through irregular means. I'm not talking. I'm speaking to you as a journalist here. Uh, the style, the basic style guide for language in uh, in the United States is the AP. Yeah, uh, language uh, guide, right? And they have sent out they've sent out their style instructions on the reporting for this, which says that we are to avoid using the word looting because of its association, the association it has with the uh, earlier civil rights issues. Uh, so words like stealing and taking away should be used, and r- rather than look. But anyway, sorry, this lady was on, and she said that in that in this case. The violence was a form of speech. Oh, I did see her say that. And then she got really, really upset because people started saying that she was uh, in some way endorsing or excusing violence. Which would be, how they came to that conclusion, I don't know. I mean, that's just bad faith. But Michael, she is a Pulitzer. Not in history, though. Uh, no, not not in history. And actually, it's quite, kind of hard to know exactly what the Pulitzer are for. It was, I think they gave her the Pulitzer for the idea. Well, it certainly wasn't for the execution. No, not for the execution. But no, the ICCL is is, is, is doing a bang-up job, as usual, uh, protect, protecting all the rights that they care about. There are one or two more little things that I, you know, I found particularly interesting about the document that they put out, by the way, in January of this year. Right. So not a historical... Th- I mean, it, it, Michael, if, if it was a journey, it was... Like, they certainly didn't take the train. This was not the Trans-Siberian <laughs> Express of journeys. Well, they might have taken the fast train. Like the other one from Paris point to, to Leon. What, what's that one? The bullet train. Oh, the bullet train. Yes, the bullet train of ideological discourse. <laughs> so they... they You'll be happy to know, Michael, that they admit... That there could be certain issues with human rights laws about uh, about bringing in 
these sort of zones, given that the right peaceful assembly and the right protest have been priority issues for the ICCL throughout its history. Don't think that's true, but, you know, whatever. But they say, as such, we are committed to ensuring that legislation around safe zones is in line with the very narrow limits permitted by human rights law. So that's nice of them. The next, uh, the very next heading, safe zones are necessary. Followed by an explanation that why the Garda Commissioner has said he has all the laws he needs in place and that if a protest outside an abortion clinic or a hospital became disruptive or legitimately harmful, he could easily move them on. And they basically go, well, he says that, yes, but we don't think he has enough power. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's one of those classic situations where uh, the police say, no, no, we're grand. No, no, we don't need any more laws. And those hardened liberals. Those worldwide defenders of human rights simply say, no, more power. Take it. Take it. They were, you know, engaged in the fight against the abuse of power by the police and by the state. Say, no, no, please. Please have, have some more have powers. a little bit. It's Moorish. It's very Moorish. Have some. It's lovely. It's, go on. You like it. It's like heroin. Yeah, it's... It's and you, How do you get on... It's the Irish Council for Civil Liberty. I, I love these organisations. How do you get on the council, Gary? How does that work? Who appoints them? I mean, I. it's the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. It, it has a wonderfully official t- ring it's to it. It's the oldest it? independent civil rights organisation in this country, Michael. Oldest independent civil rights organisation in the country. Well, that's fantastic. How can you go wrong with that? How can I... When do they have elections? How do you, how do you stand to get elected? Well, Liam, so they represent Liam Herrick is their current uh, chief executive. He got put in place uh, in, I think, September of 2016. He was the former directive or director of the Irish Penal Reform Trust and an advisor to uh, uh, Michael D. Higgins. I... I, I'll i include it in the bottom of this podcast. I know we've done so before. But again, go read the article Liam Herrick wrote on the 1st of April in the Irish Times titled, There is no conflict between human rights and public health measures. I mean, there's a joke that people on the left do about people on the right about licking boots. I don't know if you've seen it, Michael. Yes, yes. They'll respond to some point you make that supports the state by just going, I couldn't hear you over the sound of you cleaning that boot with your mouth. But let me tell you, Michael, if there was ever a time that, that was appropriate, it is this article. Well, the state's the obligation the to state vindicate the, the right to life to... Uh, sorry, the state's obligation to vindicate the right to life and the right to health applies without discrimination, Michael. Well, without much discrimination. No, that's not what Liam Herrick said. Yeah, but it's what he meant, Gary. I mean, come on. Human rights are not about individualism. No, no, it's about the it's about the group. It's about it's about the intersection between the violence done by the systemic racism in oh yeah, it's America. That yeah. Also it's it's weird in that systemic racism got the guy elected or got the guy arrested in a couple of days and a murder charge on him. I haven't seen a single politician come out and say, you know what, that was a good thing he did. In fact, there seemed to have been broad outrage and um, massive political movement against it. And pretty much all of the media thinks it's terrible and there's talk of prison reform and police reform from it, which just seems like something a systemically racist country, let's say, like China, if uh, you know an African immigrant was killed, wouldn't do. Do you know what kills more people? every year than even American police officers. Fridges. Fridges. And where are the protests, Gary? Toilets. Oh, was fridge actually what you were going for? No, gravity was what I was going for, but fridges works too. Actually, I think gravity kills even more people than fridges. And I haven't seen a single decent protest against gravity for years. The uh, the yearly amount killed by fridges has been falling for quite a period of time. Ever since they got rid of those fridges that you can't open from the inside. Because apparently people used to climb into them. Children particularly. Yeah, they used to clean. It was, it was a fun thing to do. Um, what, a, toilets are what a way to uh, die. Vending machines, Gary. Vending machines. Lethal. And yet, silence. No protests out there. What's, I don't, what's the deal with that? Seinfeld would say. I don't get it. It's Well, there are many, many things I, 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 that about this which... 
I go back to my my old belief that if we ever became a comedy duo, Gary, the, the name of it would be Baffled and Amused, because I'm baffled and you're amused. No, actually, this kind of annoys me, because I've, I've kind of hit the limit of the ICCL. Of, of co- well, we're not going to do that, because that's not... That doesn't fit with the politics we have, so we're not going to defend it. But this one we will, because it furthers the politics we're in favour of. Also, interesting... I think you were talking there about um, people writing, saying not to loot or not to use looting, the AP. Planned yeah. Parenthood's international arm does the same thing. It sends out basically explainer leaflets to all media organizations and civil organizations it can think of, talking about the usage of language, which is why over the last couple of years you've seen so many newspapers move from using the word pro-choice to, um, or sorry, uh, pro-life to uh, anti-choice. Yeah. That was directly at the behest of these of organizations like Planned Parenthood's International Wing. And I'm reminded of that because that's the language the ICCL uses. And it always seems so reasonable in that it's someone writing to you and going, well, you know, this is what we think you should say. But it's obviously an attempt to control language because they're worried that otherwise it might appear a little bit too positive and you want to weigh the scales as much as you can. So language control is very important. Well, AI we've known, well, we've known for a long time, they have known, I say lay, they, I mean, the left has understood for much longer, that he who wins the battle for language wins the battle. It was, I once, when I was younger, I once went to a debate. And it was the sort of, it was a debate about fascism. But the first team up got to define the term, which is a terrible idea. And they defined a version of fascism that could not coexist with nationalism. And then the other team proceeded to engage in a long debate about this where they got absolutely destroyed because the the definition itself was constructed to make them lose. And it was it was a masterclass in fucking over your opponent without them realise you've done it. All of these things they, they, they are ultimately variations on the old joke, the old journalistic joke about you know the question that for the politician is so sir when did you stop beating your or have you stopped beating your wife when did you stop beating your wife rather when did you stop beating your wife obviously is a question to which there is no answer because you've defined because you've defined the premises of the question in such a way but the you know, the the sad thing about this is i mean genuinely sad is that there are actually historic examples of how people who are genuinely committed to the notion of rights and to civil liberties, can behave. I don't know if it is still true, and I suspect it is not, from what I read. But once upon a time, the ACLU in the United States had an absolutist position when it came to speech. The ACLU has gone to court, had gone to court, it wouldn't do it nowadays, to defend the right of neo-Nazis to march. And I don't I think that it's, it's racist just to, to mention that... Quite a number of the most important people involved in the civil liberties business, in the law in the United States, have been Jewish lawyers, activist Jewish lawyers. And we're talking about a time, for example, the famous Skokie March outside Chicago in the 70s, where these would have been people whose families would have been within a generation of people who would have lost direct members of their families in the camps. For them, the principle of the right to protest, the right to march, the right to free speech was an absolute one. And you either held it for everybody or held it for nobody. Because they understand the basic intuition that, I don't know, did, I don't think we talked about, but I think we talked about it before, there was the, in the last podcast, the, that there are a number of people lobbying for the idea that uh, Gemma Doherty should no longer be considered a journalist. Yes, primarily the NUJ. NUJ and, 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 and certain individuals, because she's just not, a, obviously she's not a journalist. And it's, this is the kind of thinking that I find really worrying, because there, there's no sense, again, that, that there can ever be a time that when they are not running the show, that history, it, it, maybe they're, as I think I said before, they may be just unreconstructed, pure Marxists. And they believe that there is this thing called the dialectic of history, and history is going only in one direction. We're heading for 
the proletarian dictatorship and the withering way of the state. And therefore, everybody else, people like you and me, Gary, we're on the wrong side of history. The battle is over. We have lost. History has moved on. But that's not the way I think history happens. History goes, it moves in circles and squiggles and it comes back on itself. And the notion that whoever's in power now will always be in power and will be using it that power. I mean, the cliche, the best ex- I mean, in re- in recent times, I think one of the funniest examples was in just was that a political one in the United States, where the Democrats decided to change the rules regarding what was called the uh, what was the supermajority? Was it the supermajority was required mm. in the Senate? Yes, leading to one of the finest videos of Mitch McConnell in existence. Remind us. But anyway, Mitch McConnell sitting there and he just says, if you do this, you're going to regret it. And you're going to regret it sooner than you think. <laughs> yes. And then, Prophet- and then Mitch McConnell. Words of prophecy. Mitch McConnell, a couple of years later, just ramming through appointments. While they stand yeah. there and go, you, you can't do that. He goes, yeah. Yeah, I can. <laughs> but that's not, but, but, yeah, that's right. I, um, the last time he beat an opponent in an election, which was, what, probably about two years ago now, he responded with a photo of him, his face photoshopped onto one of the characters from Narcos, with just this right. cloud of cocaine in the background, and just said across it, thanks for playing. <laughs> Because Mitch McConnell's nickname is Cocaine Mitch. Really? Yeah, a um, a <laughs> ship he or his wife were involved in ended up being uh, stopped and was full of cocaine. So he picked it. Yeah, he picked up the nickname Cocaine Mitch. So his team started posting a load of stuff from Narcos, which increasingly annoyed the people who make Narcos. By the by, uh, you mentioned that Mr. Herrick had been previously an advisor. To uh, Michael D. Higgins, I, I think that's something that we have to at least refer to in passing. Did you see the uh, statement made by uh, the president? I've seen a shocking amount of statements made by the president over the last number of weeks, Michael. Well, this is in the context of the, uh, how was I say, the, the, uh, the, well, the, the current situation in the United States. Basically, the president coming out and deciding to give the, the Americans a jolly good ticking off for the shocking state of affairs in the United States. Um, he, he talks about you know, the, 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 the wonderful 1960s and the sense of hope and all the lovely things that were happening in the 1960s. And nowadays, the shocking sight, the shocking sight, Gary, of the military the military there facing up to peaceful, peaceful protesters. But my point was that generally speaking, and this is a mistake that maybe looking at some of the, the the footage, the American police are and have become increasingly militarized in their attitudes and dispositions, and they have an incredible amount of military hardware. And I'm not sure if for the American Policing system, that's a great idea, but that's their business. It, it, the greatest heartbreak, but also with conviction, that we must seek to eliminate any aspect of racism in our societies, communities, in sport and in culture, and to seek to eliminate the inequality that is often associated. That just seems political to me. And I don't quite understand what business the president of ireland has to make that kind of comment you see michael you're still thinking in the old terms when the president was a respected figurehead a senior statesman who didn't make political statements however michael d over his first term made many many political statements and it was very clear that if re-elected he was going to double down on that and finna fall and finna gale supported him in his re-election and the public voted him back in. So personally, my only take from this is that I've been deeply amused by the ability to talk to certain Finnegalers and go, after he castigated them, well, lads, this is what you wanted. So, you know, have fun with it. Oh, I'm, I'm perfectly well aware. I'm just about the only person in Ireland who gives a damn about this. But I'm 
going to continue giving a damn for a while anyway. This is the man, Gary, just her. Be vulgar and haul up unnecessary details. He went to China in 2014 and he had a meeting with Xi Jinping, who is the current Premier of China. Praised him. He had, a, I, the phrase that I remember is, they had a meeting of minds. Now, Xi, Xi Jinping is the man that some Chinese commentators, commentators in China said, has, seems to be, to be the closest we, we have got since Mao to Mao. This is the guy who is presiding over a China where, you'd have to say, the human rights record is possibly worse than the United States, Gary? Or am I going too far? China, Is well, it possible? I mean, America doesn't have a million people in concentration camps right now and hasn't organ tests or uh, gene and blood tested those people for organ harvesting on the market. So probably, probably slightly better than America. Maybe, but um, only a couple of places, maybe. Yeah, and I suppose the Falun Gong, the persecution of the Falun Gong... And of uh, Christians and the the knocking down of churches. If the Falun Gong didn't want to be massively repossessed, tortured, and then harvested for organs, they shouldn't have lived such wholesome lives. They should well, have taken up drinking, smoked a bit, and maybe took hepatitis. That that is. I don't know fair, how you take is. hepatitis, but developed hepatitis. You have to work at it, I think. No, to be fair. He has talked to other people in the world. For example, Mr. Fidel Castro. Will you, do you remember Fidel Castro, Gary? Another um, another great man who incidentally another great put man. homosexuals into camps because of their homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And then uh, emptied the prisons and the facilities where he'd put all the people who had AIDS and said, and put them on boats and pushed them to Florida and said, OK, you can have them. Maybe he just thought that the weather in Florida was nicer. Maybe he was sending them on a vacation. You always regime, assume the worst of Michael. A, a regime which one U, a UN organization estimated had had been responsible for around 100,000 political killings. Michael, they have fantastic doctors, including, and, you know, according to their own health statistics, which they don't let people in without supervision to double check. But we're told they have a fantastic health system. But there's just two things I'd, I'd comment on passant about the health, the famously wonderful health system and all of the lovely doctors. First, their infant mortality rates are fantastic, but they don't record any infant mortality that ha happens before six months. That would seem nearly until they're no longer infants. There are those who suggest that they don't hold record mortality before five years, but let's not go too far. I, I remember when I found out from looking at one of the there's a couple of different systems of grading how health services do. And I remember when they said, oh, and we don't double check any of these figures from anyone. I'm like, right, okay. Anyone, I'm like, no, no. What about like, countries that might lie, like Cuba or Cuba? And they're like, no, we don't double check that. I'm like, okay, so the, the dictatorship gives you the figure and you say, God, they're doing top of the world again. <laughs> and that's that's your job done, is it? And I'm like, yes. And then we tell people about it. You are literally too stupid to live. You know one of the things that Cuba does is it, it exports its doctors around uh, developing in the developed world, uh, if, when, even when there's a shortage of doctors in those places. So, now, there's a couple of things about that which is, which is lovely. One is, for example, doctors were sent in large numbers to Brazil, which is a shortage of doctors. The doctors are not paid, Gary. The money is sent back to the state in Cuba, and the doctors get paid pocket money, literally pocket money. Subsistence, they, they stay in a place where they're, they're sort of fed and watered, and after that, that's it. So it's a, it's a form of indulgent servitude. But what, what was even better was, after a while, whoever was head boss person in Brazil at the time, I don't think Bolsonaro had taken over yet, said, you know what, uh, we're going to send the doctors back because the quality of them was so poor, none of them were able to actually pass the exams required 
to be able to be admitted to be licensed to practice medicine in Brazil. That was that was the wonderful Cuban health system. I mean, maybe Brazil just could, has very, very high standards. Well, the, famously. Famously. Well, actually, no, to be fair, we're joking. Actually, Brazil is actually a world leader know, in cosmetic surgery. at certain things. Cosmetic surgery. If you, uh, Brazilians are uh, top-notch. Yeah, they're right up there with the South Koreans. Really? South Korea? Yeah, but I they, they tend to specialize in different procedures. South Korea, yeah. it's a lot of stuff about the eyes and facial features and skin whitening, whereas Brazil tends to go for more wholesale augmentation. Yes, bottoms. I'm told they're terrific at bottoms. Um, lady breasts, apparently, very good at that kind of thing. Also, also, but generally speaking, very, very good. And cosmetic surgery is not easy and quite can be quite dangerous. Another country, for example, uh, that uh, Michael D., thought was absolutely spiffing was venezuela gary you may remember was that. that when was that in you know, the, the old days when they were one of the largest economies in the world uh it, it was when they were in the process of stopping being one of the largest economies in the world but he praised i remember their great strides they had made towards the uh reduction in poverty and the uplifting of the poor communities as we speak of course elderly women are scrambling around uh, dumps looking for food because the economy in Brazil has or in Venezuela has absolutely packed but that wasn't the point I wanted to make you know the uh, shocking shocking level of violence used by the United States against its citizens and its police particularly against ethnic minorities and the numbers that they're, they are slaughtering young men. The slaughter continues of young men. And I'm not, these are all quotes, Gary. I, no, the United States numbers are in the context of, say, the kinds of numbers you would find in Europe are not, not good. But I think it's around 46 citizens per 10 million uh, die at the hands of the police in the United States. Now, it's worth pointing out, the United States, unlike uh, pretty well every other country in the top 30 bad places, the citizenry is very well armed in the United States. So the vast majority of shootings that take place where the police uh, kill a citizen, the citizen that they're facing is also holding a firearm and perhaps try to kill the policeman. But anyway, the number they have is 40, around 42 per million. I I know you don't know this, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway and have a guess. What number do you think uh, would be the number for Venezuela, for citizens killed by the security forces? Well, I suppose that depends uh, if they still have the death squads and if they still have the brutal repression of the indigenous minorities. Well, we're talking here about reported cases of interactions between police and policing forces with citizens. 200. Rather than 200. is not a bad guess, Gary. It's a very bad guess. Sorry. Bit of, bit of fun there. The number, Gary, is 1,632. So they've still got the death squads, then? I don't actually know if that includes death squads, but the number... <laughs> is that a number subtable? Yeah. Because the death squads, I see a lot of things, the thing about the death squads, Gary, is that a lot of those deaths are not reported. Well, that's just shoddy bookkeeping. The Germans wouldn't have stood it, for that. Yeah. It, it's a bit of the what they call the Argentinian model, where these people Yeah, but die, with, the, but with the Argentinian model, all you needed to do was stand at the dock and see how many people fall out of the air over an hour. <laughs> and then you just multiply that across a couple of weeks and you're done. you got the figure. I think it's called a Bayesian projection. <laughs> a Bayesian projection of communists thrown out of helicopters. So anyway, that's the number. That's the number. The United States, horrible sink of violence. Bad United States, said Michael D. Venezuela, lovely, lovely Venezuela. 1,632. And by the way, just to make a slightly serious point here, the number of people being killed by the police force is the smallest number of the citizens being killed by the Venezuelan state. 
They are killing them because they have destroyed the health service. They are killing them because they can't get antibiotics. They're killing them because they can't get operations. They're killing them because they're starving them. They're killing them because their children and their adults are malnourished and cannot buy food. I think the important thing here to remember, Michael, is that America is a terrible place, which we do everything better than. Apart from the COVID-19 debt rate, which we're apparently worse at than they are. According to new but, research yeah. in the Irish Times. Yeah, I don't know why that was new. I hadn't, I had never seen at any stage. Sadly, I checked the numbers more than once a day. I'd never seen a, a moment where the United States death per million was higher than ours. Well, not for, I mean, well, I mean we're, we're all going at not, this at different rates. Everyone keeps giving the total figure of deaths in the US. That, and that, that, yes, no, that's, like that's not an accident. 380 million people. What, no, 30, we'll call it. If you, I mean, but consistently, and that's not an accident, Gary, that's just pure old-fashioned manipulative dishonesty, because they're not that stupid. Journalists are not that stupid, that they'll throw in and they'll say, oh, well, the numbers in Russia are this and, and the United States and in Brazil are this. Yeah, Brazil has, what's the population of Brazil? 160 million, something like that? Uh, 330 million in the United States, 100 and whatever million in Russia. Do you really not get it that in very, very big countries you will have bigger numbers? But the per capita numbers, now, for some reason, obviously, case, obviously here, looking, there's what's called the case fatality ratio. And John Hopkins has come out and said, now, this was known, but John Hopkins... You can't do the done. case fatality ratio unless you know the number of cases, and, Gary. Nobody yeah, knows see, that's the, thing. the number so, of cases. John Hopkins are using the confirmed cases against deaths. That varies massively from country to country, based on how many people are being tested, how many people are being put down as confirmed... And so we'll hear the normal thing of we're just better accounting than every other country. But different states are, some states are taking very, very wide ideas of what a COVID-19 debt is. The Anyway, so putting that proviso aside, the US has a debt rate or a case fatality ratio of 5.8%, which compares in Ireland to 6.6%. So we are doing worse than America but you wouldn't know that from listening to news, would you? If you're looking at deaths per, if you're talking, if you if you look to the figures instead at a basis of deaths per deaths per million, we were uh, three hundred and thirty-two deaths per million. They were around three hundred and two deaths per million. So on that basis, we were doing worse also than the United States. Uh, so I don't, I, it's it's I don't know, I don't know. No, anyway. Movie. I, I, I don't know, Gary, did you see that that rather touching moment in the doll where we all stood up in silence uh, because we're all, you know, to say, to, to tell people that the Irish Parliament is, is, is against racism? Uh, I didn't. I heard of it, but I didn't watch it because I don't care. It was lovely uh, because, you know, a lot of people have been wondering, Gary, a lot of people have been wondering what was the Irish the official Irish policy regarding racism and killing people. But now we know uh, it's it's bad. Th- thank God. Thank Unless God. Unless it's we against the English, in which case that's historically complicated, and we don't want to comment on it right now. Yeah, I love the fact that uh, I was Mary is it on Miss Miss O'Neill in the North of Ireland, the leader of Sinn Fein in the North of Ireland, went to a mural uh, condemning racism and saying we must stamp out all racism. Uh, because, of course, uh, as the political winner of a body which never engaged in any form of racist uh, or sectarian I, I, activity. I saw that and I'm waiting for someone to pull the records and find that the IRA lined people against that particular wall and shot the Protestants. <laughs> well, there was one comment who said, well, yeah, except that time when you picked 11 Protestant workers up against, and put them out against the wall and shot them. That was, other than that time, yeah. I, I, I legitimately love... Like the idea of that, that you as the political arm or wing of a body which fought a racist war, whether it was justified or not, very clearly racist. And then you're like, 
Racism is absolutely horrible. How terrible. Well, I, I would say that they would, the IRA would vigorously deny that it was ever either racist or sectarian, yeah. that they were no, Irish no, Republicans. No. Michael, if someone went up to the modern progressive Sinn Féin and went, well, bigotry against Muslims isn't racism because it's a religion, do you think they would go, you know, that's a fair point? Well, what they, what's quite interesting is the IRA would say that they were never actually deblazed animus against Protestants for being Protestant. In fact, that they were part a part of a rich and uh, long tradition of Irish republicanism, which uh, transcended religion. And many, many of the leaders of Irish republicanism, such as Wolf Tone, Thomas Edison, Thomas Emmett, Robert Addis Emmett, uh, Henry Joy McCracken, Thomas Orr, etc., etc., were in fact themselves Anglicans, uh, are Presbyterians and that, that they were never themselves uh, now there are those who would say that it's, that that's a very good line to take as long as you can keep a straight face I have no position on that but getting back to standing up in the doll, a couple of things about it I thought were, were good first uh, it was timed apparently and it lasted 31 seconds now, you know, if you, you're going to stand up and have a minute silence, Gary, I think at least have a fucking silent, a minute silence. Did the person who sat down first win an award? Right. Was there something handed out? Was there a gift basket? Or is this actually, is it the person who stood the longest? I don't know. What What was the scoring metric on this, Michael? The best bit Will about we get it, to as regionals? far as I can see. I think, I believe the idea originated with, or was at least proposed, by Josepha Madigan. Now, I may be wrong about that, but I think that's... Josepha put the travellers in the sea Madigan. Well, now, you said that, Gary. I didn't <laughs> say that. But would, you... <laughs> but would you like to say more things like that? And I was sitting here, and I was perfectly happy listening to you say no, that. No, I'm not suggesting that Josepha Madigan has ever literally said put the travellers in the sea. I'm just saying Josepha Madigan didn't want travellers near her. Or in her area, or presumably any area, maybe the ocean doesn't go far enough. I would say that Josepha would be very concerned about the idea of putting travellers in the sea if the sea, for example, was around Sandy Mount, uh, Dawkey, Killiney, Port Marduk and Sutton, Hoth. Listen, Gary, that's their, 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 their business. She would be concerned depending on the direction the tide was going. Uh, more than one traveller spokesperson has made the observation that, you know what, if you're in Ireland right now, you're better off being a person uh, of colour and recently arrived in it, rather than being an Irish traveller if you want to get people to take you know, seriously the you know that's, of human rights. You know that scene in The Lord of the Rings, where the ring rates try and uh, cross the river, and it surges, and they and their horses are just carried away screaming? All I can think of that. Except when you cut to Frodo's face, it's just Josepha Madigan smiling, and everyone in the river is a traveller. Um, I don't know how to react to that. Except to say that I didn't say it. It's not unfair. Gary said it. Gary, it was Gary what said that. And I didn't. I just said it just no money anyway. It just came to my mind. Now I can't get rid of it. It's it's a lovely. It's, I I I I I'm not that. I have seen the movies, but I no oh, no. Josepha uh, Madigan is not a racist. She just doesn't like them living near her for well reasoned uh, reasons, which are on a leaflet somewhere, and you you can go find. Um, yeah, I have the leaflet here in front of me actually. <laughs> but are they uh, good reasons? anyway. They're excellent reasons, Gary. If you, um, if you were if you were seeking election in that constituency, um, I think they're very excellent reasons indeed. Uh, I am myself not seeking election in that constituency, so I have, I reserve judgment. No, I I don't know, um, Gary, where you are these days, but uh, I was fascinated to discover that there was a quite a lot of concern, you know, after the protests. In Dublin, the uh, there were protests going to happen all over the gaff, as it were, and it was proposed that there was going to be a protest in Gorey. And you know who was going to organize? I'm going to ask you, and you can have. I'll give you a few guesses. You'll never. I I can't imagine unless you've 
you've seen this already, who was organizing. Who was organizing this protest in Gori? What was the name of the organization? I I have no idea. It was... <laughs> Sorry. It was being organized by Black Lives Matter Wexford. BLM Wexford was organizing it. Sounds like a brand of bike. Under the ages of... Uh, I was going to say Ireland... It can't be Ireland. Racism Ireland. Because that would sound like a different... Like a, a poor... Was it the Irish Anti-Racism Network? Anti-Racism Ireland. And their uh, their subset, which is Anti-Racism Wex- Wexford. Now, I, I'm concerned to know, Gary, if these people are maybe using this uh, title, as it were, uh, without the consent of the owners... Because BLM isn't a state. I think maybe a lot of people in Ireland don't understand because the number of people I've seen on Twitter and elsewhere saying, "Well, of course we support Black Lives Matter." They they don't seem to understand that it is actually the name of an organization, not not an exhortation. It's not a statement. It's not like I believe the Black Lives Matter. It's an organization. It's like I almost said something there <laughs> would be very bad indeed. It's not like say calling something Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. It's 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 an actual organization, and I don't know if these people in the United States or in Canada, where the organization exists, realize that people are setting up their own versions of Black Lives Matter or Wexford. I just think it's charming, particularly because did you see the statement made by um, BLM? I think it was BLM Oregon. I didn't, Michael. There was they they sent a statement out. It was either BLM or Portland, or it was either Portland or Seattle. Maybe it was Seattle, uh, which is Washington, obviously not Port, not Oregon. Being really quite cross, saying the BLM Seattle does not in any way support the uh, protests now going on, and we actively encourage people to obey the rules. That have been the for health and, for public health and safety regarding the uh, the pan the current pandemic. Ah, so we've got ourselves a people front of Judea problem. <laughs> I don't know, but it's perfectly possible that BLM all over all over America is going. That shit, this shit nothing to do with us. We didn't say. There are people just saying it. It's not. This isn't our brand. But I just thought oh, that was brilliant. Wexford BLM. What, where will we go next? It's but it's probably gory. I'll tell you what. I'll guarantee you. I guarantee you, there will be. Oh, there'll be Navin BLM. There'll be Greystones BLM. There'll be Kinnegad oh, BLM. Actually, Michael, there was something I, I. You may not have seen it, in in South Minneapolis during the protests. Did you yeah. see the dance party? Oh, oh, fantastic! Because you're just looking at it and you're like, well, my first thought was cha cha real smooth for racial injustice, but my second oh. thought was like. You can't go to your parents' funeral, but you can go to a dance party. It's liturgical dance, Gary. It's liturgical dance. You know, I, I, a man I've mentioned here before, and I, I, I urge listener to go off and find stuff online about him or find his videos. It's John McWhorter. John, as is normal. McWhorter, M-C-W-H-O-R-T-E-R. He often does stuff with Glenn Lowry. Lowry, L-O-U-R-Y. Anyway, John McWhorter has been developing for some time the a notion, an idea that anti-racism is for many people in the United States who are, shall we say, secular or post-religion, is the new religion. Yeah, I think he's going to be helped in that by all those videos of people kneeling before black people. It's funny. He had been saying to Glenn Lowry on one of their podcasts, which he does on Blogging Heads, the Glenn and the Glenn Lowry show. He'd say, he'd been talking about this idea, that, and and anyway. Very recently, in the context of what was going on, uh, Lowry said to him something to the effect of, "Well, you know, John, I think you, this is he said, this is grist for your mill." And he said, "His response was, you know, this last ten days has just written the book out for me.' Like this, the sign, you know, this, that's that that moment where you had all the, the the nice white people kneeling down and bowing down in front oh, of the nice uh, back, yeah. black people and, and apologizing, recanting the sin." Recanting the sin, but it's an original sin, you see. Yeah, I can't get rid of it. It reminds me of can't get rid a couple of, of years ago, there was a demonstration against homeopathy. I think maybe a decade ago at this point. And 
what was his name? James Randi, was it? A demonstration against homeopathy. Now that's exotic. The uh, yeah, James Randi. He was a retired stage musician <laughs> and a skeptic, but he was he was quite famous. And they did this worldwide thing where what they what they did was in order to demonstrate the homeopathy didn't work, they would take an overdose of homeopathic medicine. Yes. And so his face was broadcast to uh, screens all around the world and people gathered before it and then they um, took these overdoses and nothing happened. And, you know, it was a great victory for the scientific skepticism community. <laughs> And I just remember yeah. looking at it and going, now, I don't think thousands upon thousands of people staring up at a charismatic leader on stage miming suicide is a great step forward for rationalism. Because like, a little bit, we've little seen bit of Jim this Jones. before. Yeah, there's a little bit of Jim Jones about that, all right, isn't there? Come up and get the Kool-Aid. The... Uh... I was, what I was going to say is, I guarantee you, because this is the way it works with media and RTE in Ireland, these groups set themselves up. They aggrandize themselves with the title. It's probably three people in the back room, right? Now they have formed, they have brought themselves into existence. Somebody will go and interview them. And when something happens about some issue, in, in this case in Wexford, which is in some way directly or tangentially connected to the issue of race, they will go and they will find Wexford BLM or Wexford anti-racism and interview them. As if they were in any sense representative of a constituency or have any kind of validity. If you give yourself a good online presence, it's going to be very difficult for a reporter to realise if you're fake or not. And we saw that with several wars. Several of the organisations set up to look at like civilian atrocities in various countries actually ended up just being, like, a guy in his bedroom. Yeah. In, like, London. Yeah. But you're not going to... You just put up a nice website, and you speak commandingly, and you have an email address, and that's going to be enough to fool most reporters. Well, fooling reporters can't be that hard. Did you see this whole story about uh, the White House going dark? Big thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I also saw some people say that photo was from the Obama administration. Well, yes, which it, it apparently it was. Uh, it, but my favourite bit about the whole story was because these are people reporting who they, thousands of journalists live in and around Washington, D.C., right? It is the world capital of politics. The White House must be one of the most observed and photographed buildings in the world, right? These people come and go all the time. And there was a, a statement that somebody had come out and the, the lighthouse was, the White House was in darkness. And they said what type, whatever, whatever it was. Anyway, somebody, I think it was uh, Reuters or AP, somebody decided to do a fact check. And the first thing they discovered was that the photograph was actually taken in the Obama. Second thing was they discovered the lights in the White House go out at 11 o'clock. That's when they go out. And that's when they always go out. And there wasn't a journalist around, apparently, who had ever noticed that the lights in the White House go out at 11 o'clock. Instead, this became a huge story of bon Trump in the bunker and White House in darkness, terrified by of his own people. And I, no, no, lads, just we turned the lights out of at 11. Oh, really? Is that new? No, no, no. We've been doing that since the Truman administration. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, does, it does make you wonder. God, and I'm not saying that I would not be myself easy to fool, because I would be. I, I, a soft old gum, I'm very easy to, to call. My, um, my, one of my fantastic thing I saw was uh, Michael Beschklosk, who is a, um, who works for Embassy News. He's an author... He contributes to a load of different stuff. And he put up a, a photo of the um, the White House and he says, comparing someone to Trump, he said, after Pearl Harbor in 1941, FDR refused suggestions to surround the White House with light tanks because it might look as if our democracy was under siege. 
leading to Adrian Vermeule, who was a professor of law at Harvard and one of the finest legal scholars still alive, responding with, well, I guess that was because he put Japanese Americans into concentration camps. Made clear that he would ignore writs of habeas corpus when he chose and held office until his death. Yeah, he was. A, yeah, that's what the thing is. He, a lot of people don't get over here. FDR is this unrelenting good guy figure. He is also, if you want to be technical on this, the closest America has ever come to fascism. It wasn't Trump. Oh, absolutely. Trump. Under FDR, oh, like, no. America was quite arguably a fascist country, and many people thought so at the time. Uh, and when you say the word fascism, were you, I think we, Gary is using that word in the, in the technical sense, not as a pejorative appellation, but as a descriptor about the I way mean, the, society, this is a man the government was organised. He just said he, yeah, he didn't care if the Supreme Court ruled against him because he'd just ignore it. And then he'd he, pack I mean, it with he, his own people. This, this one of the great scandals of the FDR was he said he, he told the court because the court had been consistently striking down a lot of New Deal legislation. Well, I, by the way, the great you know that FDR saved America from the Great Depression and uh, saved the world, in fact. A depression uh, which starts with a recession under... Um, I'm going to say Howard Hughes, and it's not how... What the hell? Hoover, Herbert Hoover. Um, he, the depression isn't over at, really uh, until after 1945. I mean... Unemployment goes up when they go to war because people go away to become in the army. It's the longest. It, it's hard to know how he, you could describe it as he saved it. There is a there is actually a large piece of research done now, many pieces of research which suggest that FDR actually lengthened the Great Depression by around four to five years. But he said to the, he, he had a little quiet word with the Supreme Court, with the, the President's Supreme Court at the time and said, and told them that he was going to he he had he could do it because he had the numbers in Congress, because he had he was able to control politics in America because the federal budget was the only budget, the country's the economy was in the toilet, and he had the money and he made sure that he used it he, the, the patronage the political patronage he developed across was terrific, and he told them we're gonna we're gonna expand the court, it's not going to be seven guys in the court anymore we're gonna make fourteen or twenty, and. By God, every one of them is going to be one of my guys. So to protect the court, basically, the court started to grudgingly pass an awful lot more of his legislation. But the big thing that a lot of Americans, and we don't get this at all, really didn't like about him was he ran four times successfully for president. Now, it is, I mean, obviously at that point it was legal, but even by that point there was a long-standing... Oh, understanding that you only it ran had, for two terms. This goes back to the very beginning. George Washington could have been king. And I'm not saying that rhetorically. He could have been king. A number of people approached Washington and asked him would he accept the idea of being an elected king and he would be president for life. Washington stepped down after two terms because he believed it was inimical to democracy and to the republic for one man to be in power for more for that for more, for longer than that period of time and after that no president ever served more than two terms because it was considered to be wrong it was considered to be an act of anti-republican aggrandizement if one of the people actually this might sound strange was quite famously agitated by this and turned him into a deep a well-known anti-FDR man was Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx used to talk about this. Groucho was actually was a very bright man and very well-read, and with a deep interesting interest in American history. And Marx often uh, spoke witheringly about FDR because he turned himself into a king. He died in office. I mean, there's nothing to say that if his health hasn't been better, the FDR would have gone on and would have won, no doubt about it, a fifth term. He would have effectively have made himself emperor. Anyway, such is the life. We're going back a little bit too far in history now, and we've enough. We've enough to be. But you're right. I mean, Trump, uh, and uh, that was the Korematsu case, wasn't it? Famously, where Japanese immigrants, as opposed to first generation Italians or Germans, for some reason, were not to be. Considered to be the same risk. 
the the executive order he put out was on February of 1942. This was the executive order Roosevelt put out that it basically said that the army could exclude any or all Americans that they wanted. Person of Japanese ancestry became included under any. Right. And a guy called Korematsu refused to leave a zone. He was told he had to leave. And uh, brought a case. Said it violated the Fifth Amendment. And uh, the American court, the Supreme Court, I believe, said that um, the uh, the need to protect America against Japan outweighed all rights of Americans of Japanese descent. I don't think Karamatsu has ever been overturned. Roberts brought it up in a case a couple of years ago. I think it was it was the case involving uh, Trump's travel ban. I think they, they right. said it had been explicitly, um, not expunged, but something to that nature. Trump v. Hawaii, I think it was, but I'm not, I can't remember the details of the case. But no. it did come up, uh, Roberts brought it the, up. The, the individuals involved, uh, well, not that the, it hasn't been maybe overturned, but apologies have been made, and more, more than apologies, uh, financial uh, compensation and reparations have been made to the either to the individuals involved or to their families, uh, the, which is one of the reasons why you, we uh, one of the reasons, not the only reason, why the issue regarding slavery and reparations is uh, on on the const on the. Although burn. that was a bit of an easier one, given that the people who had been involved were still alive for the most part. Well, what MacArthur would say about reparations is he said that there have reparations have been paid, that over the last 40, 50 years, there have been a series, a massive series of subsidies and incentives and programs that have cost many, many billions of dollars, which were precisely that. They were, they were reparations. They were a way of, re, of attempting to remediate the social condition of African-Americans because of the uh, disadvantage that had accrued to them both through slavery historically and through bad government and bad laws and the failure of the state to enforce its own laws. But that's an argument for another day. It's, not, it's probably an argument for other people. Not for so us. I believe that, that will wrap us up for the day. We will, we yep. will be talking to you guys again on uh, Sunday, as per normal. And until then, stay frosty. Bye-bye.